0: Good. Hey, if you're a guest this morning, thank you for being here. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at Crossroads. Would love to get to know you. I'll be out in the atrium uh, for our meet and mingle afterwards, but also inside the program there, if you're tuning in online, on your digital resource is my cell phone number. And just send me a text message. I'd love to set up Uh, Time to have some coffee or happy hour, whatever works for you. It'd be a lot of fun to hear your story, share a little bit of mine. And uh, so we can do that. It'd be great. And if you've been around for a while and we haven't been able to do that, please do send me a text message. That'd be wonderful. Had a couple of coffees this past week with folks, which was really, really good. How many of y'all heard that song before? Wonderful World, right? Kind of an iconic song. We've we've heard that one. Uh, How many of y'all know people that that's just kind of what they, how they see the world? right they just see the world like they're looking at the same thing you're looking at and they're happy about it you're like what is wrong with you right like they've got the flu and they're just filled with an abundance of happiness about it like i threw up i feel so much better it's amazing right you're like what is wrong with you they're at work you know that gets piled on and then you just, you're feeling overwhelmed, it's like, look at all the work we have, it's amazing, we could be bored and not have revenue, and you just are like, I need a break from you, <laughs> right? But how many of you raise your hand and I said, you've ever had like some experience that you felt a little bit of joy? Anybody? Just a, you know, you say, maybe not all the time, I'm not one of those people, but I've had a little bit of joy every now and then, right? Well, what is joy? That's what I want to talk about today, it's a tricky subject, Uh, What is joy? Well, a few years ago there was this interdisciplinary project that took place between Yale University and a group called The Theology of Joy and the Good Life. I like that. That's what we should rename our church, The Church of Joy and the Good Life. Just unfortunately not always true, right? But they they came together on this project and they were studying joy, right? And they brought together psychologists, they brought together theologians, they brought together philosophers, and they were trying to work towards a more unified understanding of joy, right? Because of the, the, the work that's being done in, say, psychology, the work that's being done in sociology, they really weren't ever coming together. So they came together, they came up with this definition of joy. Are you ready? Only one you could expect from academics, right? Which means nobody's going to understand it, right? Here's what it says. Joy is a positive, affective response to an an objective external good construed rightly and about which one is rightly concerned. That'll change your life right there. That'll change your life. How about maybe some simpler terms, right? Some simpler terms. Joy is a positive feeling, right? It's this positive feeling that arises inside of us when we have some sort of correct understanding and care about something good happening outside of us in the external world, right? So it's not just a positive feeling that we have internally, it's we encounter something in our world, right? And then we recognize it, we process it correctly, we call it good, and we have an appreciation for it, right? Something good that's happening around us. Now, that's this experience of joy, right? You're, you're out, you see a flower, and you go, wow, that's a good looking flower. And it overwhelms you in that moment, joy, right? Whatever it might be. You're having an, an, an experience with the, your partner, your spouse, your children, right? Now, what about a joyful person, Right? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but you would like call yourself, not just a person who has experienced joy, but you've actually thought of yourself as, hey, I'm a joyful person. I'm a joyful person. Because it is different, right? There is this thing called joy that we experience, right? that, That sometimes lasts for a short while. But then there's this disposition of being joyful, right? So the experience of joy, for all of you that are fill in the blankers, Because it gives you hope that this will end at some point in time. (laughs) Like, two more left, wrap it up, right? We're just at the beginning, though. The experience of joy is different, right, than being a joyful person. So, what does it mean to be a joyful person, right? Well, what, what does it look like? You know, that person we described earlier is kind of like happy, optimistic, encouraging, filled with a sense of purpose. And the research actually shows that joyful people. I love this way of putting it, they have a lower threshold for experiencing joy. I love that way that's put. In other words, it takes less for a joyful person to experience joy. That's why when they throw up, they're happy about it. Because they have a lower threshold, right, for experiencing joy. I love it. They experience joy in more things, right? That song, I see trees that green, like, and I think, what, a what, like, they look at a tree and there's something about that tree that they're connected to, that they're united with, right? And they just feel it, right? I could look at the same tree and go, oh my gosh, look at all the leaves I'm going to have to rake up, right? <laughs> like, we just see the world differently. They, a, a joyful person experiences joy more frequently in their life, right? Now, let me ask you another question. I'm full of questions today, all right? What do you think is the opposite of joy? If I had to say, okay, now tell me the opposite of joy, given what joy is, what would you think? Would you think maybe it's sadness? I see some heads, and I would you think maybe it's anger. Well, here's what I'd like to propose today. I'd like, to, whoa, welcome to the party. Get to see a little bit more of me, all right. <laughs> It's the day after Spooky Palooza, Casper's playing drums. I mean, it's it's a whole thing today. All right, here's what I'm saying. I'm going to propose to you that the opposite of joy is not sadness. And in fact, I think saying that the opposite of joy is sadness really produces toxic positivity in our lives, right? And, And within Christianity, within faith communities, oftentimes we're like, oh, well, we're not allowed to have negative emotions, right? But here's what I think the opposite of joy is. I think the opposite of joy is frustration. I think the opposite of joy is frustration. So I could ask you the same questions, right? I won't because you want to get home, you know, you want to log off, I understand. But what's the difference? Like, have you ever had a frustrating experience? And have you ever met a frustrated person? Because getting frustrated and being a frustrated person, again, are not the same thing. And so what does it mean to be a frustrated person, right? We could ask that question, well, what does that person look like? Well, that person's kind of angry, pessimistic, defeated, right? filled with a deep sense of loneliness, sadness, a lack of a sense of purpose. It takes a lot for a a frustrated person to experience the positive emotion of joy. How many of y'all ever met that person before? Don't look at anybody in the room, don't, you know. But you know, like, it, it, it really sad, happens that person is just kind of frustrated in life. They're always feeling like they're butting up against something. Something's out to get them. It's that disposition. And the tension that exists in this when we think about what does it mean to be a joyful person is that too often we think of the absence of sadness as joy, Right? We think of the absence of sensor, and so what do we do? We work really hard to have all these experiences that will make us happy or make us experience joy. But too often, it's just short-lived. It's just a momentary experience. right? Because at some point, the car is going to rust. I mean the car can get delivered it can be perfect it can be wonderful but at some point that thing is going to break down might be 15 years from now might be 10 but at some point it's going to disappoint right the experiences that we have the things that we hope will produce joy or happiness in our lives that we pursue we oftentimes find ourselves chasing the wind so what if we left kind of the language of happiness and sadness just to the side for a moment just for a few moments today and we think of joy as that positive state of being that way of seeing the world right that allows us to navigate the frustrating experiences without becoming a frustrated person let me say that again because i didn't even understand it what if we set aside the ideas of experiencing happiness or experiencing sadness we put those to the moment as we talk about joy and we think about joy as a way of being, a state of existence, a state of mind that allows us to, fr- to navigate the frustrating experiences of life without becoming a frustrated person. Y'all ever had a frustrating experience? Yeah. It's called parenting. <laughs> it's called balancing the checkbook. Amen. Right? It's called going to work. It's called everyday normal life. So what is the secret sauce of managing frustration and moving from craving experiences that produce temporary happiness, and we'll call that joy, to being a joy-filled person, a person who can navigate the frustrations of life without becoming a frustrated person? Because here's what I think. I think that joyful people, right, those, those people that get excited because they threw up, right, I think those joyful people, they live a purposeful life. Their life is filled with purpose. But frustrated people tend to live in a place of purpose deficiency. Maybe not, and think of purpose deficient as not a deep enough purpose. Not a big enough why in their life. And wisdom, Scripture actually offers us lots of wisdom on this topic, this idea, because joy is kind of one of these wonderful Bible worlds that we, we hear about. Purpose is, is talked about a lot in our Scriptures, right? We see people get frustrated in Scripture, right? And, and Paul, right, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a, a whole bunch of our New Testament, a lot of the letters was kind of, some might call him the founder of the Christian tradition, Right? Paul experiences joy, right, his experience of joy was a byproduct of his incredibly deep sense of purpose for his life, right? So what sustains Paul, we find, is that he had this deep, deep sense of purpose, of mission, right? Now, I'm going to say this right now, the deep sense of purpose and mission isn't always on point, (laughs) okay? So like, just like you and I, y'all ever felt like you're a little off on point sometimes, on purpose, on mission in life? You ever think maybe you get something a little wrong, right? Paul's no different. Paul wasn't perfect. Paul didn't have it all figured out. Paul was trying to navigate his world in, in the context of his religious beliefs, and we just happen to have a record of that, which is beautiful, okay? So Paul lived in this deep sense of purpose. Now, Paul, it's important that you understand, Paul believed that something called the general resurrection of the dead had begun in Jesus. And that was a very uh, pharisaical way of believing. So if you were a Pharisee, right, which was kind of a political party, the Pharisees had come to believe in something called the general resurrection, which was this idea that at the end of time, every person was going to be resurrected and have to give an account for their life before the Hebrew God. And that had begun in Jesus, right? That's what Paul believed. And so that drove Paul into a new way of being, a new way of seeing, a new way of existing. Now, I'm gonna share with you that I think Paul got it wrong (laughs) because we're all still here. So see, Paul thought it was gonna happen and the general resurrection was gonna be completed in his lifetime, right? And I don't think he got the timing wrong. (laughs) I think he got it wrong. (laughs) I just think that's part of life. We get it wrong sometimes but he was driven and had this deep sense of purpose to proclaim Christ crucified to people because he felt deeply and strongly that the end of the world was coming, that the general resurrection was gonna be completed and God was going to embark on this great cleanup of the world and it was gonna happen in his lifetime. And that gave him a deep sense of purpose connected to something we could say existential connected to something transcendent, right? It was about being, it was about bigger than him. And so in one of his letters, probably the earliest writing we have in the New Testament is called First Thessalonians. Letter he wrote to a group of people that he helped form into a local community of Christ followers. And this is where he talks about his joy. And he says this, what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Now remember, Paul's like, someday, someday soon, Jesus is coming back and everything's getting married right and I'm going to stand before him and what's, what am I going to say is my purpose? What am I going to boast about? What is it going to be? He says, is it not you? He says, yes, you are our glory. You are our joy. So for Paul, right, he's saying to the people, like my, my joy, like that thing which carries me through all the frustrations is you. Because I am functioning, and and this is the deeper reality of Paul, is that Paul was driven by a love for people. Now, what sparked that love, that way of thinking, I think Paul was wrong on, this general resurrection that was going to start and everybody was all going to take place in his lifetime, he might have gotten that part a little wrong, but what he was deeply motivated by was bringing truth and love to people. And that's what he means when he says, you're my joy, like, you're it. All the suffering that I go through is worth it because of you. All the sacrifice, it's worth it. It it sustains me. Now, Paul wrote another letter to a group, uh, and and this letter is called Philippians. And Paul writes the letter to the Philippians. Get a load of this. Paul writes this letter while he's in prison. He's uncertain of his future, where he's going to go, what's going to happen. And yet he writes this letter, and the whole letter is filled with the language of joy and rejoicing over and over and over again. He says, I thank my God, constantly praying with joy. He says, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. He says, make my joy complete. He says, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. You also must rejoice with me that you may rejoice, he says over and over again. In chapter three, verse one, he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says it again, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again. And then he says it again, rejoice in the Lord greatly. He was in prison when he wrote that. He's that guy who throws up and is happy about it oh my gosh. But here's the thing, like Paul's joy, right, his word that he would ground his joy in, that he would say was anchored in, was this phrase, in Christ, which is a super Bible word, right, which is okay, but what does it mean? So for Paul to be grounded in Christ was to be grounded in something bigger, was to be grounded in his understand of, understanding of divinity, His understanding of what God was doing in the world, and that he could participate in it. So his deep sense of purpose was a life in Christ. That's what he had experienced. And so in Philippians chapter 4, this kind of all comes to a culmination. It's a super famous passage that Paul writes. We love it so much. The prosperity gospel people love this passage. They love to misinterpret it and twist it and apply it to terrible things. But here's what he says, from prison, remember, up until this point, he's just joy. You got to rejoice, be joyful, rejoice, be joyful. He says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. How many of you would place contentment with joy? Those don't seem like the same things, right? He's content in whatever circumstance. And my, what I would submit to us is that joy is what allows that to be. And he says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little and I know what it is to have plenty. Can I get an amen? How many of y'all are waiting for the plenty, right? <laughs> That's the prosperity gospel. I can bring that if we want to. If it'll help the offering, we'll do. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I will not sell my soul for that, all right? Paul says, I've learned what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. He says, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. And remember, he's in prison writing all this. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, who strengthens me. Right? Paul's grounded himself like he's, he's, he's found his purpose in this reality that goes beyond the circumstance. And he knows that transformation of lives is taking place. These communities are forming, people are finding hope. And what we see in Paul is that joy, right? That thing that can help us to be content, not excited about our issues or our problems, but content in the midst of them, right, to not become frustrated by them, right, is Paul understands that joy, right, is grounded in something deep, and he says it's a mixed emotional state. And the science agrees with Paul. That's where I got that word, mixed emotional state. See, Paul can be in prison and tell people, you got to rejoice, you got to make my joy complete. He can can go through all of that and still hold on to joy because joy is a mixed emotional state. Think of it this way. In Matthew chapter 28, Matthew's version of the resurrection. In Matthew's version of the resurrection, it says this. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. See, fear and joy are not mutually exclusive experiences. You can be filled with joy and navigate fear. Now, some of us have been told, like, faith, the enemy of faith is fear, and you can't have fear, and you can have faith, or you can have that. I don't know where we got that from. I mean, life doesn't tell us that. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But these things existed together. In Luke's version of the resurrection, right? They're having experiences with Jesus post- resurrection and it says yet for all their joy they were still disbelieving and wondering and he said to them have you anything here to eat what a great question by Jesus I mean he's just conquered death hell in the grave he's a little hungry he's like, it's like do we not have some Doritos here people how about some bean dip what is going on I've done my part let's get the food out right and Luke is wanting us to know like Jesus is proving to the disciples that he's actually there present right that's the point of the story but I love what it says. In all their joy, they were still disbelieving. And this gives me all kinds of hope because doubt and joy are not mutually exclusive either. You can live in a space of joy. You can live like Paul, grounded in a space of joy, in a space of in Christ, of of my life is about loving and living in this kingdom of God thing that Jesus talked about. And I can still doubt some of it. Some days I can doubt all of it. They can exist together. And then all of a sudden, one day you have a meal with Jesus and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Luke's probably referring to communion, what we're going to do today. And there's this other passage. little letter in the New Testament called 2 John. And I love this. It says, although I have much to write you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Indeed, instead, I hope to come to you and talk with you face to face that our joy may be complete. I said, Brian, what are you talking about? Well, I had all week to think about this, okay? So here's what I think. I think that longing and joy are not mutually exclusive. right? He's, the writer of this letter is longing for his joy to be complete. There's a sense of lack of, within the joy. So longing and joy are not mutually exclusive. Like There can be desires unmet in our lives and still experience joy. Right? Not getting frustrated. So here's what I don't want to miss. Let's put all this together, right? Here's what I think we see from Paul, from the idea that joy is a mixed emotional state, is that the deeper our purpose, the more resilient our joy. The deeper your purpose for your life, for getting up in the morning, for, for going to bed, for whatever, for sa- the deeper your purpose, the more resilient your joy is. Now, how do you do this in your everyday normal life? Well, you have to think about, what is my life? And, and I use that in the like, big sense of the word. What is my life? What is your life? For Paul, his life was defined by crucified with Christ, meaning I'm not living for myself, but I'm living for this, the way he understood it in his world, in his way, in all of his restrictions, was to bring hope that was found in this idea of Jesus and Christ crucified. In Ted Lasso, it's a little different. So this week I want you to meet a guy named Danny Rojas. Now Danny is this amazing soccer player, footballer. He's an ace and we meet him in, in, in uh, season one and it's episode six and it's called Two Aces is the name of the episode. And it is an absolutely brilliant brilliant episode, because in this episode, there's this juxtapositioning that happens between this frustrated and entitled attitude that we see in Jamie Tart, who's another player on the team, and he's arrogant, and he is lost in life, he's confused, and it's juxtaposed right next to like, the opposite extreme of Danny Rojas, this player who is just filled with gratitude and joy. And in this episode, it's, it's quite interesting because in the episode, there's a, they, we find out that the training room is cursed, so they got to deal with that. And we, we kind of, we kind of meet, meet Danny in an interesting time because Jamie has just been benched, right? In the last game, Ted benched Jamie because of his attitude. And now Jamie's refusing to practice, right? And so Coach Ted and him have this heated exchange in the locker room uh, about practice and not being able to practice, right? And Jamie's just, his attitude is terrible. And so Ted is hoping that once Jamie sees somebody else playing his position, it will hurt Jamie and his soul just enough to shake him up, to get him out of himself, and that he'll turn around. So they know that they've got this new player who's coming in onto the team that day. His name's Danny. But nobody knows if he's any good or not, right? So Ted's talking to Coach Beard, and they're trying to figure out if he's any good, and nobody knows because he's been injured, and he's just coming off this injury, And so Ted's just like, all right, well, hey, let's just be sure to help Danny get acclimated because the first time in this league can be very overwhelming, can be very overwhelming. So like scene ends. And then the next thing you hear and you see is Danny like running onto the practice field, like... And he's just singing, no, 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 Danny Rojas, Danny, Danny Rojas, no, 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 no. And he's running in circles and he's galloping and he is like the exact opposite. He is just so thrilled that he's here to practice, that he's made it to the Premier League and he's jumping up and down and he runs up to the coaches and he introduces himself and and the coaches are just like a little taken back and he's like, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. And Ted looks at him and and like, like, you're a spirited fellow, Danny. (laughs) Woo. Why don't you go out there and, and, and get the striker position for us, which is what Jamie plays. Now, Jamie's on the B League right now, the B team right now, the practice team, because he's been benched. And Danny's just grinning ear to ear, and he's jumping up and down, and he's running, and he says, yes, just like in Guadalajara. You say it, I'll do it, coach. And he's super excited, and with that, he spreads his arms wide, and he starts jogging backwards, and then he yells this as loud as he could. He says, football is life. Football is life. And what we find out is that this is his mantra. Football is life, football is life, football is life. He says it over and over again. His deep purpose is football. (laughs) And it motivates him and it carries him through injury and and he brings it and and even when he's overcome by injury and adversity, football is life. And Danny's joyful spirit is contagious. I mean, we just see it in this little scene, like he's jumping onto the other teammates, high-fiving them, meeting them, the whole team. And so through a strange series of events, the team, like I mentioned earlier, the team is coming together because they've got to break the curse that has happened in the training, in the uh, treatment room. And you have to watch the episode to get the whole thing. But they come together, and basically they decide, the way we break this curse is that everybody has to bring something important from their life, one of their most treasured possessions, and you have to sacrifice it. You have to burn it. And so all the players are bringing stuff in, right? And they're, they're throwing their items in, the things that have meaning to them, Some are silly, but it means something to the player. And nobody, you're not really sure if if Jamie's gonna show up for this because he has said earlier in the episode that he's not, he's not gonna do this, this is nonsense. But in that moment, Jamie shows up. And he shows up into the locker room and he's got a pair of boots, they call them, shoes. And he starts to explain why they're important to him. He says, they're not my first boots or anything. But he starts talking about, this is where we learn about his dad and his relationship with his dad. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Jamie and Roy, you experienced the culmination of that. But basically he talks about how his mom just wanted him to be happy. His mom just wanted him to, to be a happy kid, playing soccer, enjoying it, living it. And his dad had left when he was little. But as soon as Jamie started to get well-known, his dad started showing up showing up at his games, telling him he had to do everything he could to not be weak. And so he says, and he makes this really powerful statement in the moment, and he says, you know, I think I've been living to please my dad, and I don't think I've been making my mom very proud, and it's time for me to make her proud. And so you have this moment where he's vulnerable and he shares, and it's like the whole team just kind of comes together. Even Danny and Jamie are now celebrating and they're drinking this whiskey and they're just living it up. And you end with like this deep sense of hope, like, oh, this is great, they're going to turn it around. But the next day, we find out that Jamie has been sent back to Manchester City, his team that he was on loan from by Rebecca, because Rebecca's wanting to destroy the team still. And Ted freaks out, he's so frustrated, He's finally got the team back together. He's got them working. He's broke through. They have two aces now. And he has this exchange with Rebecca that's funny and tragic all in the same moment. And oh, he's just so done with it. He just can't believe this has happened. Like he saw it. This was the moment. And you saw it as an outsider watching the story. You just knew something good was going to happen. But then... After he gets angry, he leaves Rebecca's office and he goes back and and we pick up and and the coaching staff, they're all just sitting in the room in the coach's office and they're in silence, right? And they're sitting there deflated and they're just defeated. Ted's kind of rubbing his head. Coach Beard actually looks like he's praying in the scene. He's like, hands are crossed and he's just, Nate's like staring out the window into the locker room just kind of looking, and the, the team is torn up. Like all the energy that they had is just now gone. And in the final moment of this episode, the coaching staff is in silence. They're frustrated, they're defeated, they don't know what to do. Danny just kind of slowly peeks around the corner and he comes and he just kind of leans against the door into the office. And and it's amazing because Danny's like aware of the situation. So he doesn't come in like hot like he did when he ran out onto the field, right? He just comes in and he's got a little bit of a smile on his face a whole lot of humility, and he just leans against the door, and he just says, hey, coach. And Ted looks up, looks over at him, kind of leans in, just to listen, just not sure what's going to happen, but some wisdom's going to come. And Danny just kind of gives a little shrug, and he says, football is life. And with that, Ted smiles, Danny's smile grows a little bit bigger. He raises his eyebrows and he walks away. And you just, in that moment, you recognize that Danny's why is bigger than his circumstances. And we get to experience like his joy, right? Because his joy is not based simply on winning. His joy isn't based on everything come together. He has this resilient joy because it flows out of his purpose, not his circumstances. There's no celebrating. There's no like, oh, everything's gonna be fine. Like, Danny just knew his deepest why. And so in your life and in my life, I cannot tell you how important it is if we're going to experience and live as joyful people that we define our deep why. So one of the things that's super powerful and flawed within, I think, far conservative right ways of being Christian, there's a lot of wonderful things, but One of the things that's really powerful about it, even though it's misguided is, I grew up with this deep sense of why that all these people were going to hell and it was my purpose in life to make sure they did it. Now there's all kinds of bad baggage that comes with that. And it's really, really dangerous and unhealthy theology and it gives you a really bad picture of God and all of that stuff. But what it did was it gave a sense of purpose and meaning to everything you did. As a junior high kid, as a high school kid, as a college student, as a young professional, like my job was to bring this hope of Jesus, to help people come to to a saving grace. Now, I still think that there's something to that. I just don't think everybody's going to hell. (laughs) And I don't think that the God of the universe put that on you or I. But there's something about recognizing I go into every, I have a deep why that goes beyond my marriage. It goes beyond my parenting. It goes beyond, but it it, it hits every space that I live. That was the deep why. And that's what's powerful. To have a deep why. Why do I go to work? Why do I parent? Why do I save money? Why? What is that deep why? And here's the thing. And I think we see, I saw it in the conservative world I grew up in, and i think it's missing oftentimes in the the more liberal world of christianity is that if i can define my why and if my why can be related to love if my why can be related to love my joy will be resilient because while i don't go to work now to make sure everybody says a little prayer a voodoo statement and then gets to go to heaven i still go to work because I genuinely believe in love. And I still go to the grocery store and I still interact with the person who's helping me at the counter because I genuinely believe in love. And I genuinely believe in peacemaking. And so my deepest why is not to have a happy marriage. My deepest why is not to raise kids that go and change the world. My deepest why is not to have a million dollars. My deepest why is to love. And to look for those opportunities to love. And and when you and I can find our deepest why, oh, the joy is resilient. And the world, we become these amazing people when we have a joy like that. Because joyful people experience some things. Joyful people experience harmony and vitality and transcendence and freedom. It's why throwing up can even be a beautiful thing to a joyful person. Harmony, recognizing that I am one, I'm in unity with the whole world, that I'm connected. Vitality, a sense of energy and potency. Transcendence, that my life is not normal. That every trip to the store, every time I go to work is infused with possibility, is infused with wonder. Because love is guiding and motivating everything. So my life can be extraordinary, even in the ordinary, and I'm free. Joy brings freedom, that joyful sense of freedom, like you're just lighter, right, kind of walking on cloud nine, but it's that deeper sense of purpose. So as we get ready to receive communion here, let me just ask you, what is it that God's inviting you into? If you're at home, you're tuning in, what's the point of it all? Why this moment of joy? Well. Maybe God's inviting you and I to just take some time and honestly evaluate whether my life is marked more by joy or by frustration. And maybe this week there's an invitation to spend time thinking about my deepest why. Because here's the truth, football will only take you so far. But there is a why that can carry us, that doesn't pretend there's bad things that aren't going on, but helps us manage the frustrations without becoming a frustrated person. Maybe God's inviting you to reach out to somebody in your life who you go, Man, this person is one of those like joyful people, and I wanna know what is their why. I wanna know what makes them tick. And just like have a cup of coffee or whatever it might be and, and ask them, What are the most important things in your life? You don't have to ask them, What's your deepest why? How are you so joyful? Like they're not gonna know what you're talking about. You're going to be like, go watch this. no, just ask him like, what, what's the most important thing in your life? And they'll start to reveal the why, right? Where do you spend your money? Ooh, tough one, right? Where do you invest? What, what is, what's your deep why? This moment of communion is that meal that we share every week that reminds us that our deepest why can be grounded in something mysterious of Jesus, who is an image of God, the image of God for Christians. The image of love lived in this world of peacemaking. So while we sing this song today, you're invited to receive the bread and the juice, it's all gluten free. And as just a reminder that love brought you here, love can animate you and send you out of here and give you a deep sense of why. And it can exist with doubt. And it can exist with fear and it can exist with longing and it can exist with frustrating experiences, but it can carry us through. And I, man, some of your stories that I know that you've walked through deeply frustrating experiences, many of you have maintained a measure of joy. Doesn't mean there weren't moments where you were like, I don't know about this, but you've maintained it and you've maintained that love. So I want to invite you to stand. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, along with all 8 billion people on this planet that we might know the peace of God that is freely given. And just as the peace of God and the grace of God is freely given, this bread and this juice is freely given to everyone in here, regardless of your background, regardless of what you believe or what you don't believe, because these speak to a truth that are not contingent upon our understanding. So you are welcomed at this table, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you.